Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 247, The New Regime is Here to Stay. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 5 of Angel, Life of the Party, and episode 5 of Class, Bravish Heart. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Hey, it's a Lauren episode. Hooray! Uh, yeah. Weren't we just talking about how there hasn't been a whole lot with Lauren yet this season? Um, yeah. So, good timing. Um, and, you know, I feel like up until this episode, I really did not have a very clear concept of, like, what he was even doing. Like, <laughs> he's kind of off in the background, mm-hmm. on the phone a lot, and talking with people and seeming like she he's rushing from meeting to meeting but like other than what we saw with like scanning the employees to determine their level of evil um i wasn't entirely clear on like what his job was exactly um so i mean i'm still not entirely clear there's still some like okay there's like movie deals happening and, you know, things like that, that, like, they're going to resurrect Henry Fonda and give him a second career, which is kind of fun. Um, But, like, I guess the big kind of takeaway is it's their PR department, right? It's their kind of, what's their their sort of, uh, what's their brand image? What's their public relations? What's their sort of cultural footprint in the world you know i guess sure maybe i I don't know i yes i think that is in it that is one of the implications that he did but yeah also there's like this like entertainment like schmoozing part of it so like okay i get that i get that what i don't understand is what that gets wolferman hart well, so, I mean, I think the, the implication is that within show business, right, there's a lot of demonic activity, for sure. one thing, or, like, evil activity, okay. which I think is, you know, fun and... Sounds fair. Whatever. I mean, I, and all of those things have contracts, right? So I, I would look at this as, like, it's not like defense lawyer or even, like, corporate law, but it's, like, contract law mm. of, like you know, for performers and that kind of thing. And I would imagine as part of that, it's not quite like an agent kind of thing, but like along those lines of like, Mm. they're, they're like legal representatives on behalf of like these different, you know, entertainment entities. Gotcha. Um, but that, to me, seems a very different thing from, like, PR and marketing. Sure. Like, as someone who works in marketing and has done a very little bit of PR, <laughs> like, like that's not anything to do with, like, entertainment contract law kind of stuff. Right. So, right. I, I, think, I think this is, like, 
we're doubling up a little bit on responsibilities and just sure. like it's all being kind of thrown into one pile but doesn't given, necessarily fully relate to each other yeah yeah and given lauren's sort of like yeah his you know obviously like with his caritas and like having a sort of venue like and and schmooziness and all of those type of things like fits in very well there but then it's kind of like they have to sort of figure out a reason for why, you know, this party is a good thing for the company. And it's a good thing because it, it looks good. There's a, mm -hmm. and so maybe it's not quite PR. Maybe it's, it's a, maybe when they say external, it means like client facing, not like right. world facing. So it's like. Right. More, right client relations like yeah right so maybe that's more along the lines of it now that i think about it and less of like i can see that being more because he's not he's certainly not a legal person like guns i would assume gun would still have all of like the contract law and like copyright law and like anything that would apply to mm -hmm. that side of like the entertainment you know law aspect of things but um yeah like more like client relations and schmoozing mm -hmm. <laughs> um kind of thing so official, so in that respect official schmoozer that's, yeah in that respect i think that makes more sense um, yeah yeah as far as what he's doing right which i mean yeah and maybe he's doing many different things that we're only seeing little bits and pieces or whatever, but that makes more sense with like throwing a party and making sure that all of the really big influential celebrity clients are going to come. Um, not PR in the sense of putting together ad campaigns or like marketing per se, but PR in the sense of client outreach and keeping the people with the money happy and coming back and, you know, um, and smoothing, I guess, like for the purposes of this episode, smoothing over the ruffled feathers of this new regime that's in charge, yeah. which there are quite a lot of ruffled feathers, both inside and out, right. um, who are unhappy with the direction of things. So Lauren's come in and maybe taken over one of the most difficult departments in the sense that he doesn't just have to do his own worry about his own projects or problem solving and, his own things, but he has to manage the expectations and the moods of all these different people who are unhappy. Yeah. Right. Um, in per and, and like with a focus on like the big name celebrity, like, entertainers and that yeah, kind yeah. of thing yeah and when you put it like that it makes a lot of sense that a lot of their big name contacts and clients would be hollywood based um i mean right. they're in la and like you know if anyone's gonna like sell their soul to an evil law firm well, like it's probably gonna few of them might be from hollywood you know yeah you know you could imagine like a harry weinstein might be a wolf in the heart fine sure yeah. Although I guess he was like New York based, right? But anyway. Um, but yeah. Um, so. 
sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say to kind of then build on that, right? Like there's the um, the emphasis then, right? Like on what what's important about this party, right? Like it's not, mm-hmm. I mean, there there is, there's also an employee aspect, which I think, you know, we can talk about in a minute, but um, this idea of literally every episode so far like I think we've had one of their clients or one or more of their clients who are killed. Right. So like the word is getting out that like, yeah, there, you know, a new sheriff is in town and is cleaning up shop. And, yeah. and that of course is antithetical. Cause I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, there, there's collateral damage there as far as, you know, they're killing some of their customers certainly there's going to be customers who are leaving, mm-hmm. right? Um, we don't actually know who, like, the main, like, the what's what's the name of the second-tier evil law firm in Los Angeles, right? Like, Right, who's their direct competitor, yeah. Because they have, like, I mean, certainly, like, just, just speaking of law firms in general, like, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, you know, there's some in Texas, some in Florida. Like, these are, like, the big-name, like, national ones who are going to be, like, defending, like... Mm-hmm the big name people, you know, like who, who defended OJ, right? Like whatever law firm that was. I mean, I know, well, gee, I can't remember the names of the lawyers now off the top of my head, but like, you know, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And like yeah, all Johnny of that Johnny Cochran, yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. And like, um, you know, like, but what law firm did he work for? <laughs> I don't know. Right. But right. like, but like, those are the types of law firms that we're talking right. about, right? The big name, defending the big name people and like, and when you get into like corporate law and copyright law and whatever, like there's there's like niche, you know, big name within the niche, you know, of those like and then there's like second tier and third tier and all that. Um so we don't know who like the main competitor is, but you can imagine that there's a main competitor out there probably talking to Wolfram and Hart clients saying, Hey, you're gonna get killed or, you know, mm-hmm. something bad is gonna happen. Um and actually, we, we don't even make it this whole episode without a client getting killed right, either. Right. But, like, at least, like, you get the sense that, like, by the end of the episode, like, people are happier about the killings than well, before now. in the end, it kind of aids the redemption of their brand. Because in, sure. in case the critique was that things are getting... Once it's established that it's not Angel and Co., killing in in the party i think it right. it kind of helps to have a little like like gun says like they kind of like a little blood sport in their entertainment and part of the part of the kind of tarnishing of the brand is that not only is it dangerous for the clients but overall morally it's probably getting a bit vanilla and a bit goody sure. too like oh things are turning nice and you know redemptive and good now and so like to have a party where there are a few victims is probably helps them in the long run well and because it's like killing in the name of you know good clean fun not killing because of like not targeting clients yeah right right Right. you're not killing and like you know because of business practices or you know whatever like right but just yeah, because 
a demon got loose and things happen. And yeah. And that's, you know, the implication at the end from the employees is like, oh, that was a great party. Like, this is what we're, we look for in our Halloween right. parties at Wolfram right. Heart. And apparently they've had some legendary ones, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, so Lauren has a lot to live up to. Um, so that's all the, like the outside, you know, why the party is important for the clients and everything. But then there's also this sense of low morale within the company too, mm -hmm. um, which is widespread. And again, like we've had that every episode too. I think we've had every episode, we've had at least one like disaffected employee, like sure. either someone who's killed or let go or comes back and tries to sabotage things or whatever, like, somebody frustrated with how things are going or feels they right. were unjustly treated or whatever. Um, right. Or you think of like, like, right. The, the lawyer who was sent to like tell a client something and he gets sent back in like buckets. Right. You know, right. <laughs> right. Um, like he's just trying to do his job. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and always rolls downhill um yeah so and i think like i mean we get the grumbling of you know the the kind of nameless grunts and everything but um but i think like a, an important point too is that this is also true of the, our main characters as well like the low morale like you know we got fred sort of in the previous episode her being pulled in too many different directions and starting to get kind of overstrapped. And, um, and we get that with Lauren here as well. Um, and, and, and I, I was going to say, I think even a little bit with like gun at the beginning, mm -hmm. you see him like being too busy to like, right. Want to help. And even though yeah. he kind of seems to be the one of the team who's most on Lauren's side about the need mm -hmm. for having the party. Even he's sort of like, I'm too busy. I'm preparing for a deposition. Like yeah. there's too much. Right. Know, right. And, and, happening. and Fred and Wesley are sort of at each other's throats about who's, you know, like whose fault was, you know, you know, this faulty device or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I think like one of the, telling lines is Lauren, if I can find it, it's not till later in the episode. Um, he even kind of suggests to Angel that like when, maybe this is when he's giving his like, you know, I'm part of your team speech or whatever. But like Lauren even suggests like he might have been let go if he didn't like, so this, this isn't just the lower level employees that are afraid of getting fired but you know kind of Lauren even expresses that like maybe if he couldn't keep up Angel mm -hmm. wouldn't have kept him on um so even with his sort of immediate closest sort of allies Angel's sort of not making folks feel the most appreciated um and yeah. so, I mean, we'll get into 
I guess we might as well mention now, since there's no sense in tiptoeing around spoilers, we can get into consequences later, but Lorne has his sleep removed in order yes. to get everything done. Um, and this is clearly a great, a great idea. Great idea. Yeah. Great idea. Um, and yeah, I mean, and all the things start to happen that do when you're sleep deprived, like you become kind of irritable and, you know, even more quick to be frustrated with things. And, you know, so Lauren just starts acting not very Lauren like, um, you know, like there's those kind of shots where he gets, it seems like he has a headache, but he kind of looks like he's going to explode and then just kind of like powers through and is sort of his chipper mm -hmm. self. Um, so yeah, so he has like the most dr drastic solution to this problem, but, um, but he's got to get through this party. Um, and yeah, I mean, I kind of want to talk about the couples individually later, but just kind of noting that he at least does go to all of them for help and is trying really hard to get some help. And, you know, there's kind of some half-hearted attempts, but like nobody's really jumping in. Everybody's sort of dealing with their own thing. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, like, Gunn's got his depositions, Fred's like a million dollars over budget or whatever she is um, <laughs> at this point. Um, Only 800,000. 800,000. Um, so, yeah, nobody's kind of really taking Lauren that seriously, which, you know, uh, classic thing, not that I relate to this at all, of the person who, you know, Lauren is always the one that's helping everybody else, right? Right. And then, you know, the tables turn and it's, you know, he comes around and it's like, all right, guys, like I could really use you on my team this time and could use some extra hands for this particular project. And it's yeah. like crickets. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, and so you mentioned earlier about like Lauren being the one um, who's sort of reading all the employees, right? Um, when we were yeah. talking about like not knowing like exactly what he did other than that. Um, and it, it occurred to me kind of while we were talking through what we want to talk about in this episode that like, that might also be part of what's weighing in on him. I, mm -hmm. I don't think they actually mentioned it. I don't even know if like it occurred to the writers, but we can, we can sort of intuit maybe that like feeling and seeing all of the, you know, various auras of the, and we don't actually know how often he has to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we see it happen in a few key times when it's sort of relevant to plot that we see, but, I, like, is he, is he, like, scanning the entire, like, Wolfram and Hart team, like, once a week to see, like, who's evil and who's not, mm -hmm. um, you know, or who has bad designs or not? Like, we know that there have been other attempts that have happened, like, sort of off-screen to us, right? Um, to like dispatch of angel and and team so um 
maybe some of that morale is like rubbing off on him a little bit too. And maybe there's a, a sense in which some of his feeling the need to, you know, do all the things for everybody um, comes from that, like realizing like how bad the employee morale actually is and Mm -hmm. like feeling like he needs to, you know, being this sort of empath demon that he needs to be the one, not just to like empathize with others, but to sort of also create an atmosphere in which others are actually happy and, Mm -hmm. you know, feel good about what they're doing and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what, I mean, going back to the whole introduction of him as the host, right? Right. Like before we ever even knew his name, he was the host. He was the one who made people feel welcome and happy and, you know, like their lives had purpose to it. Right. 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 And yeah. And they, they loop back around to that at the end of the episode when he kind of says it's, hard being the host of the party um mm-hmm. you know and angel saying stop trying to be like he's good at hosting the party but he takes that to mean all of life is a party and he's the host you know and it's his right. job to sort of emotionally be the caretaker for everyone all the time yeah. um which if you if you're him and your sense of other people's happiness or lack of it is amplified all the time, then I think that seems pretty natural that you would find a hard time separating their, you know, other people's emotions from your own Mm -hmm. and feeling responsible for their frustrations and unhappiness and everything. Sure. I don't know the coinage of the term. I mean, I would assume that the term existed then, but maybe it's become more popular now. But that whole idea of self-care, right? Right, like, right. That, That's that what he means, a, yeah, yeah. That there's a certain amount of, like, you just need to take care of yourself. Like, you just, you can't always be looking out for other people's needs and yeah, whatever. There has to be a certain amount of allowing yourself the time and resources to, you know, relax and and rejuvenate and what's the word i'm looking for um re recharge recharge there you go yeah right um so yeah 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 it's like they i mean they always use that metaphor with like caretaking talking about like in the plane put your own mask on before you put on somebody else's like you're you're right you're not helpful to people if you're not taking care of yourself as well. Um, And yeah, caretaker burnout is definitely a real thing. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of, I think, what he's struggling with here. Um, But it's kind of cool to see him back in his roots as the host again. Because ever since Caritas was sort of burned down again... um, you know, I feel like that that original role of his got a little bit forgotten about. Like, he was, yeah. you know, just sort of one of the team. He didn't necessarily have a specific... He had his connections, you know, was right. mostly the kind of help that he could provide. But, I'm, um, you know, other than that, 
this is like the the closest we're seeing back to when he originally came into the story. Yeah. Oh so. yeah, for sure. And and like how much he enjoyed that role. Yeah. Right. Of like as a character or whatever, like that. Mm-hmm. That's where he sort of excelled in giving people, not giving them, but like sharing with people what their destinies are. And, yeah. Yeah, and I think he makes that pretty clear here, even though he is stressed out and frustrated with Angel. Um, he says, like Angel says, this matters to you personally, and he kind of doesn't deny it. You know, this is this yeah. is what he can do. And, you know, w- let him do it. This This is the purpose that he brings to the group is, you know, yeah, showing people their destiny and sharing some of his sort of spirit with, you know, with the team and everything. So just because it's driving him crazy doesn't mean he doesn't want to do it. And not only that he can do it, but that like, it's a valuable thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which I don't think Angel really necessarily fully appreciates until this episode. I think he appreciates lore, but I don't know that he sees, you know, Angel's, I don't know, like, you know, Angel with his broodiness doesn't necessarily acknowledge the value of morale <laughs> on the team. Right. Like, or maybe he only does when things really go to pot, you know, but he, he doesn't necessarily realize sure. the ongoing necessity of like, let's keep everybody's spirits up. Let's make sure right. everybody's in a good place, having a good time, <laughs> feeling like, you know, they're happy with how things are going. They can look up to Angel. That's not where his priorities are, generally. Sure. Right. Um, but. Like, like, I complimented you six months ago. What more do you need? Right. Or like the, um, what's the Mad Men line about that's what the money's for? Like, like you shouldn't sure. need positive feedback because I pay you. So like. The money is the positive feedback that I give you. Right. Um, right. The fact that I don't fire you. Exactly. Like, that's all you need to know about how I feel about your work. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I think, I had a boss who, in reviews, would tell me he doesn't give feedback. So I can relate to <laughs> that feeling of, you know, just like not really knowing where you stand with somebody and it can be quite demoralizing. Like um, I'm only doing this because it's required of me. Yeah. Like if there's whatever a, rules I'm subject to, if there's a problem, I'll let you know. And that was like your review. So yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's not the greatest motivator. So, um, but anyway, Lorne does talk him into at least going to schmooze with this one sort of big name client. Um, what is it, Sebastis? Um, yeah, the Archduke Sebastis. Sebastis, right? Um, you know who drinks the blood of his slave, like straight from the tap in front of them. This, um, like, emaciated 
gimp. Ray's little gimp guy. Slave. Right. <laughs> Who just opens a vein right over, you know. Yeah, literally like pours that, slices open a vein or whatever. Right. Or uncorks right. it, I right. guess. Um, yeah, there's even a little like uncorking sound, like a little yeah. cork being popped. Um, and yeah, and they kind of try to make nice with him a little bit, convince him to come, um, which they kind of do, although sort of presuming that there would be a trap or trouble of some kind. So take lots of, you know, weapons and armor mm -hmm. and backup and everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have a lot about the Archduke Sebastus. I don't know if there's any more significant, no. other than like, him as a representative of these right. big clients that, you know, well, he's standing in for. And I feel like, so one of the things that I think there's a little bit of danger of, like, the the longer Angel goes on, and especially, like, now that we're, like, schmoozing with the big guys, right, is that, like, like, how many how many of these bad guys can be, like, the biggest bad guy in the city, right? Like, sure. Like, we've already had, like, Magnus, right? Like, the magician, necromancer guy who was, like, this big, rich guy. And now mm -hmm. we've got, like... And, all right, I mean, it's L.A. Like, okay, sure, there's, like, lots of rich people in L.A. and stuff. But, like, like at some point, there, you just have to get to, like, okay, where are the B-list actors, right? Like, where are the, you know, second tier mm -hmm. of demons who are, like, still, like kind of rich and kind of like bad but not like the worst ever um so i yeah i i think you're right like i don't even know that we see this archduke guy again or if, if we do like maybe we get a reference to him at one point or something but like yeah i don't think we need to like know about him like deeply in character for like the rest of the season yeah no no, I think he's there as kind of stand-in for the larger clientele that he's sort mm -hmm. of representing. Um, and the idea that, like, he's sort of the linchpin of, like, getting other people to come to the party. Mm -hmm. Like, if they can, it, it's like that thing of, like, if they can keep this one client, then... So I know everything about Law because I watch Suits, of course. <laughs> And this is like the plot every week of like, if they can just keep this one client, then the entire firm will be saved and everyone right. else will be convinced. But if they lose the client, then all of the rest of their clients will leave them because they'll like have lost faith in the firm and that kind of thing. Right. Um, right. Of course, of course, that client changes from week to week. Right. Um, well, that, I was thinking you were bizarre. like, how many biggest, baddest clients could there be? I thought, well, maybe he's, this is the biggest one. Once they got rid of the last one, like, <laughs> right. like once you got the ones that Magnus is gone. Okay. Now, now our richest and most influential client is this guy over here. And yeah. yeah. Like maybe he would have been halfway down the list before, but we've killed right. off everyone else. And right. So now, right. It's like that FBI's top 10 list, you know, like you catch the guy at the top and it's like, you don't have the top nine list now. You just right. have there's top always 10 more. list with someone yeah. else yeah. on it. Somebody yeah. just moves up the ladder a little bit. So, right. yeah. Um, yeah. FBI top 10, I said. The 10 most wanted, of course, is what I meant. 
<laughs> not like <laughs> like a top ten FBI, yeah. like a BuzzFeed list. Of... <laughs> exactly. Oh uh, I, maybe maybe like Lauren, I need to get some sleep. Um, sure, but yeah, no, I I don't think we need to. Lauren would probably so do it as a top ten though. Like, sure, here's our top ten clients that we need to make sure are having a good time. Um, he, he yeah. very well might. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about like the actual party. And so the effect that it has on the others, because we find out kind of gradually and later we get sort of confirmed that apparently when you do not sleep as an empath demon, you kind of, it sort of boosts your powers a bit. Um, and instead of just receiving and interpreting people's destinies, you begin to prescribe them and have control yeah. over. And so basically whatever he says goes. Um, yeah. Without, I mean, without realizing it, it, it's not intentional, but. They talk about it like destiny and stuff. Like, I right, almost feel like they could have like, toned it down. It's more like an extreme suggestibility. Right, like right, because, almost yeah, more like yeah. hip, hypnotic suggestion, kind of. Because nothing that he has them do has any sort of grand, right. long term. Like this is going to change the course of your life, well, sort of effect. Except the people that the demon kills. Well, the, like Hulk Lorne. Sure. No, I was thinking of his immediate friends. No, I I know, but like. Death is kind of a long term. Yes, demons are for most for most people, not de all people. Demons are people too. I wasn't but thinking like, about them. But like, as far as like, no, I and I know I'm being I'm being somewhat tongue in cheek here, but like, um, yeah, I think as far as like, I don't know that we like it matters if it's destiny or not. Like, I mean, I don't. I guess maybe I'm just sort of picking a straw. But like, I like the extreme suggestibility is kind of like the where I would. Well, kind of go and with maybe that if of like, if he maybe made an effort to write their destinies, maybe he could say, "Gun, like, here is the course of your life," and would have sure. the ability to make him do it. But because he doesn't know, everything he's telling them is just so petty and like you know mark you know mark your territory and so gun starts peeing everywhere like it's very right. small and silly things rather than pee pee yeah um right right well and it's that matrix thing too of like oh you know what's really gonna bug you later is what if i had never mentioned you know the base that you knocked over like right if right. i had just not said anything would you have even turned and looked and right. knocked it over um, Which I, I I don't think there's a lot of mystery about that because, like, Wesley and Fred get drunk without drinking. So it's not even like, oh, the, you don't even really have the mystery of, did they get drunk because he said something or because that's really what they were going to do? Like, they didn't even drink. So I think it's right. pretty clear that it's purely just based on, yeah, it's, yeah. I feel like that's. That's the implic. I feel like we can ex if if that's true of Wes and Fred, then 
it seems that that would probably be true of the others. Like, I don't think Angel and Eve were on the verge of, I mean, there's this scene early in the episode where she sort of walks in on him on the shower and everything. I'm not saying there's no tension there at all, but, but it's, I don't think the suggestion is they were about to jump into bed together and, you know, might've had done that anyway. Like, it seems like, nope, Lauren says things and, and they start to happen. And I mean, you know, I'm sure many people can interpret things. Like, like to me, that scene also seems more like, not that there's no flirtation in it or anything, but like, more like teasing of Angel than like, yeah, like you said, like, like I don't think they're about to like hop into bed or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's more like she's just kind of like, yeah, teasing the fact that he's like taking a long shower and stuff, and right, and miss know. their meeting and everything. Right. Um. Yeah, like maybe halfway through the season that might have developed, but it wasn't. I don't think on the verge of it, sort of immediately. Yeah. So. Um, right. We haven't even seen Eve that much to kind of really know. Yeah. What she's thinking or whatever. Right. I mean, okay, so let's kind of go through them. I mean, we kind of just talked about. Angel and Eve. We talked about. I don't know. Yeah. If there's anything else, if maybe it's pretty straightforward, and I think for Eve, it seems to be pretty straightforward that, you know, it. Sure. She's if, been here if before. We believe... She went to UC Santa Cruz, and she's been around the block. And um, Angel, there's no reason to get all emotional about this kind of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, if if we believe her, sort of stoic. If we believe her, yeah, which right. is always always up for debate and we don't I mean, know her so we really don't have much to base that on well and that's what i was gonna say like i think as far as like as far as it goes like she's she's still a new character to us like we've seen her a handful of times and like only for a few moments like we don't and like there's still the out question of is she even a woman and human <laughs> like like or female and human or whatever. Like you know what? How what was it? She said like, how can you be sure I'm either of those things? Right. Like, right. We don't really know what or who she is mm-hmm. at this point. So, um, can we even read her emotions that well to the extent that she has any? Right. Um, uh, no, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think we can yet. So you know, all Angel has to go on is sort of what she tells him at the end there. Um. So, yeah. Um, Wes and Fred, we know a little bit better. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting to me how much they've really pulled back on the Fred and Gunn aspect of things Mm. this season. Um, Like, I think I was expecting more tension among the triangle. Um, Whereas I feel like Gunn's been largely sort of doing his own thing. Um, And it's more Wesley, Fred, and Knox that's causing some of the, like, jealous looks and everything. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it starts with Wes and Fred sort of arguing about who's responsible for the defective bomb or grenade or whatever it is. yeah, like the magic bomb. Yeah. And then, you know, Knox 
kind of jumps in and offers to work on it and fix it while they go to the party, which we don't really find out till the end is kind of under Lauren's suggestion. Like, mm-hmm. I forget what he said exactly, but some I'm sure something about, like, can't somebody else handle this for tonight? Yeah, um, I think, right. I think that's almost exactly what he says. Is like, yeah. can't you give it to like one of your minions or something? And right, right. It's like, I'll do that. Even <laughs> the minion standing right there. Right. right. Like, right. Oh, I'll I'll do it. Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and then he's kind of confused the next morning. Like, why? Because he was looking forward to the party. Like, why did I volunteer right. to do that? That was kind of weird. Um, right. He's like extolling the like virtues of like a wolferman heart halloween party right (laughs) like oh yeah there's there was this like blood sacrifice or whatever Mm -hmm. all these things happen yeah um Um, yeah oh that's right he says this they burned they burned cows in a wicker man i was trying to remember what the (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. right they had a yeah little pagan ritual Um, um yeah like the wolferman heart burning man ceremony right right um um yeah so so speaking speaking of gun though before we kind of move off of yeah those them um here's a question for you okay uh do you think uh do you think he remembers gwen do i think he remembers gwen you mean literally because well, because of the forgetfulness because of around the Connor. Spell. Like, do you think that that affects his remembrance of her and stuff? And, like, if that... Because if, if not, then, like, he would remember... Because, like, we've talked about... And I, I don't know. I actually... I'm, like, sort of thinking about this as we're talking. Because I mm-hmm. think you're right. Like, they definitely have moved away from that. And I think before we've talked about, like, one possibility might be... Mm-hmm that like the whole connor tension stuff i mean this is more with like wesley coming back into the group yeah 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 necessarily the triangle aspect of things but like the triangle aspect is wrapped up very much in a lot of the connor stuff too Mm -hmm. so it's it we don't actually know how the connor forgetfulness spell works so i'm just curious like do you think like like, is it, like, everything else is the same? They just sort of edited Connor out, and maybe there's, like, other reasons or other things? Or or do you think, like, like maybe is that part of why Gunn um, is more out of the picture? Is because, like, he, maybe he remembers Gwen and is, like, I'm past Fred and, like, that kind of stuff? I... I don't... I, and, again, I just want to repeat, I don't have, like... A clear answer myself so i'm not even like fishing for you to like say a particular thing because i don't know what i really think either i think there are many possible answers to that question i'm trying to decide on what level to answer it because i think there's kind of the in-world headcanon like the sort of diegetic answer yeah and then there's like the real world crit like what were the writers yeah. thinking answer? Because I don't think anybody remembers Gwen. <laughs> like in the sense I of, know. Well, in sure. the sense that like, I don't, I don't see any hint that we are supposed to be thinking of Gwen in this context, but 
Yeah, like, that doesn't mean that, you know, we can't project some of that into the story if there's room for it. I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way because I was starting to get into the question of do Fred and Gunn remember their relationship at all? Like, And that's another question. Because they've had yeah, such sure. little contact like, or that that it's been brought up so little that it's make me, making me even wonder if it's so wrapped up in the Connor stuff that maybe that got wiped as well. Like, so the Wesley leaving and the, like, maybe all the kind of drama of Fred and Gunn sort of relationship got. But then I feel like that would be a weird thing to do and not address. Mm. Unless the writers are just using that as a way to say, we can just start over and pretend that that never happened. I don't know why they would want to do that. So I guess that I'm curious if it never comes up again, like if we get to the end of the series with no mention of the fact that Fred and Gunn were like a couple for like multiple seasons, then I kind of suspect that that's what it is that they just. Like a season and a half. Sure. Okay. But like flirtations and whatever, like a significant chunk of time. I kind of wonder if they if if the Connor thing was like a reset button, along with we're going to change the premise of the show and take it in a new direction. We're also going to reset these relationships and say the tension between these three characters goes out like with the Connor stuff. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in a few episodes they'll have Fred and Gunn address some question of their breakup and then that will answer that question. So, yeah, it's it's odd to kind of have had them be together and then just sort of not mention it again at all. But so far, that's kind of what's happening. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Fred and Gunn is not what we're getting. We're getting a lot of Fred and Wesley, and, uh, they, they get drunk on nothing and go staggering (laughs) off to find Lauren's sleep for him. I I, kind of do wonder why Angel sent these two to go get the sleep. I mean, it kind of works out fine. Well, but it's sort of like. That's not a hard thing. He, he's trying to get everyone out of the office so he and Eve can have sex. Right, but maybe Gunn could go look for the sleep. Like, these two are so silly. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get the sense that it's just like he wants to get people out of the office. Sure. Like, I don't think he's thinking, like, strategically about, like... like who's... Because who, I feel like this could have gone very badly if Wesley sure. and Fred hadn't really managed to rally and... Um, sure. Which they do when they, you know, even in their drunkest state, they're professional and, you know, they track it yeah. down and 
manage I'm not saying to it's stagger a good decision. Back. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I think, and in that moment, like, Angel's more interested in getting people out of his office so he, he and Eve can go at it again. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, and, and, uh, you know, Fred's a very happy drunk. <laughs> um, sure. Which is kind of fun. And, um, you know, wants to be, you know, Wes gets all sort of excited when she talks about how they should be, you know, a lot closer and better friends and all these sorts of things. And of course mm. starts asking about Knox. Um, mm. And yeah. And ends up getting a proper drink with Knox the next morning um, mm -hmm. to Wes's sort of chagrin. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of where we're, where we leave it. There's and no gun involvement at all, which is just very bizarre. But that's the way it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and speaking of gun, he's just sort of peeing everywhere. That's his <laughs> very literal, silly interpretation of what it means to mark his territory. Like if anything, his, well, his directive is the one that could have the most sort of destiny attached to it. Like, like, you know, like that could be a very serious statement. Like gun, like, like you really need to mark out your territory here. Like that you could inter like stand up to angel or like, what does that mean? And, and well, it becomes this very like, just, you know, bodily sure. humor kind of silly thing and the actual word that lauren uses is stake stake out your territory. stake out your territory right so like especially if you're thinking along those lines of like confronting angel right that obviously has even bigger implications but yeah they don't go there mm. it it's it's yeah a lot more urine oriented right um <laughs> Although, like, he does with, you know, Angel's chair. <laughs> Anyways, like, he does sort of do that confrontational thing. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it is a little Angel-focused, but, yeah, less staking and more urinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then we get to Spike and harmony um mm. ooh, i didn't even really realize this on the second watch but is it ever implied that her dancing is based on lauren or is it just that she loves the dance floor like is well, it she's, like she does starts he... out there and then he tells her to keep pushing the envelope right which she right which she does because like a, a a few minutes ago, I started to think like, oh, is it like she can't stop dancing until the spell is broken? But, um, but she's already yeah, sort of. I don't remember because like, because like the, I mean, the earliest thing we know about is Knox, right? Like doing the staying behind, mm -hmm. which is like well before the party starts. It's pretty early, yeah. So I don't. I didn't 
I didn't think of that. So I didn't go, I didn't, I wasn't like listening early on to see if. Right. And I didn't think of it. Harmony. Yeah. You know, if it's suggested, but like, it wouldn't surprise me if Harmony just likes to dance either. Right. Which, which I think is part of it. Cause like, you don't necessarily realize that like, cause, cause even with like, I mean, yes, Wes and Fred get drunk a little fast. But like it's Wesley and Fred, <laughs> like right? He, no, it's very. Either of them, it's like, it's very gradual and subtle. You don't realize at first what. Well, right, you and know, you don't. Yeah. Like you can see them getting drunk very fast, just because like what one yeah. they're both like fairly slender and right. you know, like yeah. lightweight, um, you know, and and that kind of thing where it's like. Yeah, like, there could be some reference to, like, harmony dancing, like, very early on in the episode, and it, like, right. totally goes over your head because it's... Summer. Because it's harmony, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't think to pay attention to if there were specific lines about that either, but it just... Um, it's one of those more subtle ones where it's like, that could go either way. That could just be her. Um Right. And yeah, whereas Spikes is far more out of character, uh, like, you know, being positive and affirmative and, you know, happy and chipper, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a few good moments. I feel like we could have had a lot more with that. Like, I would expect happy Spike to be something maybe you could get a lot more mileage out of than maybe they sure. did. Um, but there's a few good moments of offering to be the people person and like go refresh the drinks and, you know, mm -hmm. um, right. well, it's, and it's like, it's like silly angel, right? Like yeah. when he sort of gets in his Bahama shirts and like, mm -hmm. you know, crazy talk and, just kind of fun angel. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I guess to finish with Lorne himself, um, we get this Hulk like manifestation of his subconscious, um, which it's just something funny about the idea that, like, like they said, it's not that Lauren doesn't have frustrations or get angry with people or judge other people. It's just that he kind of, you know, suppresses that. And like a good gregarious person that he is, he isn't very confrontational. He kind of keeps his opinion to himself and pretty much tries to get along with everybody. So it's kind of funny that there's this sort of id that um, just kind of is born and wants to pummel people. Um, mm -hmm. Like, especially the ones who are pissing him off at the moment. So he kind of goes what? for the demons and angel and even himself. Like, you know, <laughs> these are the ones that are driving him particularly crazy at the moment. So sure. like Wesley kind of says, like, it's not like he was even really trying to kill anybody. It's just these are the frustrations that he hasn't been able to process. And so he's got to take it out somewhere. So. Yeah. 
Um, a manner of his id, though, like, worth remembering that, like, the Pylians are a very warlike mm-hmm. people. So, like, yeah, like, maybe there's, like, something in there about, like, the nature of, not, like, human nature, but Pylian nature, right? Of just, like, that there's this inner warrior that they all have, you know, and this is kind of, like, like maybe this could have been Lauren if he ever, like, trained and, like, worked out you know like maybe not quite so hulking but like at at least like you know this is like warrior lorn that his mother would have been proud of right right yep um right and going after the the one who's wearing a suit of Pylian leather, right? Like, right. Um, yeah, and you know, there's that there's that line earlier too when Lauren's talking to the guy in the suit, um, where Fred kind of is saying, "Oh, how easy it is for Lauren. He just fits in everywhere, gets along with everybody. It's so great." And then you kind of cut over, and you know he's uncomfortable in this conversation you know it's not that he gets along with everybody and likes everybody it's just that he is pretty good at hiding it um you know and i think that when the monster comes out and starts pummeling people you kind of see the truth of that that like outgoing and cheerful people aren't without conflict you know maybe they know how to avoid conflict but you know they're not necessarily that doesn't mean they don't have negative feelings about other people. Um, which I think like we can see, like, you know, for the camera, you're allowed to see that Lauren is like, okay, get me away from this creepy guy with his Pylian leather jacket. But like to Fred, you know, to wallflower Fred, she just sees somebody who is comfortable in a party and, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't recognize the more subtle things sort of going on underneath. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they shoot his sleep back into his head and all's well, pretty much. He just, you know, he needed a good nap. Like that's usually a good solution to when you're cranky. Um, sure. Just kind of all. All this is really that, Lauren gets that are, cranky. That are a Snickers, right? Like yeah, right, right. You're um, not yourself. Here, have a Snickers. Right. Um. So yeah, and yeah, he gets his nice peaceful sleep, and Angel, I think, hopefully, will go a little easier on him, and you know, have some more insight. Um. And there's the faint smile as the disco music starts back up. Like, it's not like he doesn't like parties. It's like, you know, the conclusion here is not, oh, Lauren doesn't want to be the host anymore. Um, right. It's just everything in its proper time, proper place, not... And proper you know, quantity. Yes, not taking over past the point that he can handle it. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And there's that one little bit with gun too. Um, I think it's gun, right? Where where Angel sort of like acknowledging like this place is trying to change us, right? And so we need to make sure that we're aware yeah. of that. Um, and part of that, I think, being you know the the togetherness aspect of it, right? Which we kind of like got at the end, I think of, was it the last one, right? Like with the, with the picnics and mm-hmm. the. Right. Like know, the takeout party. Chinese at the end. Yeah. Takeout and all of that. Yeah. Like, like we kind of got there to some degree, but like, we're still struggling with it. Right. Like we still have, mm-hmm. you know, Fred and, and Wesley kind of going at it because you know, they're uh, blaming each other or or at least each other's departments for like whatever is going on. And um Yeah. Even just the idea of like yeah, some of them are off doing kind of their own thing and maybe there's not I don't want to say like oversight because that's a very like corporate, you know, like word or whatever, but like I mean that's kind of it. But like also like maybe accountability is a better term of mm-hmm. like, like accountability between friends of like knowing when, like, like when they're all kind of like involved in their own departments and, you know, doing their own sort of different things, then like, you're not like there to sort of talk to each other and figure out what's going on together. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're, you've got an entire department of, you know, people that you can sort of like order around, but that's like different than having like, you know, your friends telling you like, Hey, maybe you're not going about this the right way. Like, mm-hmm. or, you know, Hey, maybe you should get a few hours of sleep because this whole, like, you know, not sleeping for a month thing isn't actually healthy mm-hmm. and could hurt you or someone else. Right. Um, yeah, looking out for each other, not just, I mean, self-care being kind of the most important of, like, taking care of your own needs, but then also a sense of responsibility for each other and to kind of point out when somebody, or or notice, like, if somebody asks for help, take notice of that, you know? Well, and and that there is an aspect of self-care to that, because obviously, like, by not doing that, like you put everyone in danger, mm-hmm. right? Like, or maybe you're not the one putting them in danger, but like everyone was put in danger because like nobody realized that like Lauren was, you know, having the sort of spiritual equivalent of no dos for a month, you know? Right. And it goes both ways. Like, you know, Lauren can't be the caretaker for everybody and nobody. Mm-hmm take care of him either you know like it can't just be a one-sided um like if he's going out of his way to look after the well-being of others then you know it's in their own interest to return the favor um you know so yeah um i think that's kind of all i had did you have any other no i'm actually kind of surprised we we'd spent an hour talking about this one because it's a later episode sure <laughs> so, um 
no, we can move on though to class, um, which is the second of a two-parter. Mm -hmm. um, so we're starting sort of right where we left off, right? With April and Ram jumping through uh, the rift. Um, I actually want to start out though with Tanya and sort of the parents because I don't think that there's a lot to say about them. Um, sure. Although who knows? I thought there wasn't a lot to say about the last episode. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, we get, uh, well, I mean, I guess initially they're all sort of still in April in Jackie's backyard. So like, Charlie gets sort of the text or call or whatever from um, Quill. I don't actually remember what it is. Um, and so he's like, oh, I've got to run off and do this thing. But Tanya's like, well, I want to go get Ram's dad because, like, you know, April's not the only one who disappeared here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and of course, she and Ram have been, you know, becoming closer friends through the tutoring and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um... So I think there's a connection there too that she has that maybe Charlie and uh, yeah sure. that don't have. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately though, they all sort of get together again at the school. Um, I don't like, You know, there's sort of the accusations and the, like, whatever at the beginning. And then Tanya kind of jumped in and was like, look, you know, Ram and April are both, like, kind, smart, you know, people. So, like, just chill out. And, mm -hmm. and then they're all kind of like, okay, like, let's figure out what's going on here. I don't, I don't, like, do you have, I don't have anything really to say about that other than just, like. Yeah, I don't. They meet. And, no, I don't think, I mean, I think Tanya has the kind of least to do, obviously, in this particular storyline yeah. um i mean i feel like a lot of their stuff like a lot of the parents stuff with tanya is like like more than noticing like oh things are you know getting worse and worse and like we don't know what to do and um so you get like the skylight you know like crashing under the weight of pedals which you know it's kind of funny um yeah and i guess tanya kind of serves like an expository role in this episode like you know who's the one who's there catching the parents up on what is going on yeah. so that they kind of you don't have to have them sort of figuring it out totally for themselves um sure i mean the other like the only character thing I don't quite know what, how to describe or characterize this or whatever, but, you know, the way that she kind of says how much she looks up to Ram and April of, like, they're the nicest and bravest people she's ever met. I feel like that's a side of Tanya we haven't really seen before. I think she's a little more guarded than that, usually, or something. Mm -hmm. Like... You know, um, I don't think she struck me as one to kind of usually come out and say who she really admires or looks up to. Like, there's something a little more that kind of teenage defensiveness about her 
you know, of like, you know, how some young people don't always necessarily express their enthusiasm for people or, or gratitude for people or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. That's just like a slightly different register to have her kind of come out and say like, you know, all these sort of nice things about them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm like finding hard to, you know, not finding the right words exactly for how to describe it, but. Sure. But that's the only, like, I think everything else she has in this episode is mostly like plot serving, you know, like get the yeah. parents to the right place, explain to them what's going on. Um, get the text. Be, get get the text. Um, so like, the other thing, and this is a little more dissonant for me, I think, like with the text, like, all right, granted, Mateus, like, like he only says like three words and maybe they're a little cryptic, but like also in this ep episode, you get like April pointing out that like Tanya would get like her obscure reference. I mean... Not that regicide is that obscure. Like, mm -hmm. you would think in a country that has a monarchy, like, that they would know the word regicide. But, mm -hmm. um, the fact that, like, Tanya's, like, sort of intelligence and quickness is pointed out, and then it takes her so long to, like, figure out, like, shadow defeats pedal. Like, I don't, that's not, like, yeah. The most cryptographic, like, puzzle in the world. Yeah, no, the the text could have been a little harder to solve. Or she could have got probably. it a lot, like, the writers could have had her get it a lot quicker. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it just, it seems a little, like, too plot-serving to, like, mm -hmm. now, now, like, spending time not knowing how to get the Shadowkin to do the pedals like that to me would be more believable than like that. She didn't understand like right. the text, you know, shadow defeats pedals. Like when you're talking about like, like they all know what the shadow can are and are afraid of it. Like anyone mm -hmm. who mentioned shadow of their group would almost have to be referring to the shadow can, right? Like, yeah, like it's almost like impossible. It, you know, it, it's hard for me to think that they wouldn't think of the shadow can right away even if like they were wrong then like but like the wrongness wouldn't be oh i know i didn't even think of the shadow well it especially be... because they know april and ram are in right. the shadow world like right now like right this is actually like super convenient so so that's the part that to me that seems a little strange like like now maybe it's like okay well how do i get that message to april and you know what do i do there not Oh my gosh, what does this weird obscure text mean? Right. Um, but anyway, like that just seems a little uncharacteristic of Tanya to not sort of be able to figure sure. that out right away. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> anywho, that said, I agree. Like a lot of what she does here is sort of plot related or expository, not really a ton of character or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's fine. Like, we've had at least sure. one episode that was, like, kind of, she was sort of the main character. So, like, they're doing that 
it, it they're switching it around, obviously. So yeah, I, that's not necessarily criticism. It's just that there's not a lot of analysis to do about it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So then, moving so moving into um, the shadow world, or rather, the underneath, as they call it. Um, mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out if this is a reference to Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, which they don't use the term underneath, they use the term the upside down. Upside down. To, to refer to like the other world into which people get mm -hmm. drawn or, you know, sometimes find on their own or whatever. Yeah. It's, um, it certainly could be. The timing is a bit close. It's... It's too close to call, I think. Um, yeah, I, it's certainly not clear. Yeah. Um, but what we discovered is that during the time in which principal photography was being done on class, Stranger Things was released on Netflix. Mm -hmm. The first season of Stranger Things was released. Mm -hmm. So... It's certainly possible that, like, right. we're about halfway through the season. We've never heard the term the underneath before. Mm -hmm. So, like, it could be a late-breaking addition, right? Yeah. Um, and there's no... What strikes me as sort of... I don't know if damning is the right word, but, like, I'll use it. What strikes me as the most damning evidence... Is that like there's absolutely no explanation given for why it's called like the underneath? Like why like shadow world just seems like such a mm. better term. Like everything else is related to shadow, right? The shadow can, the shadow king, the mm -hmm. shadows themselves. Like why not just call it the shadow world? Like that seems like such an obvious thing. To call it. Right. Like what is the underneath, if not some sort of reference? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It yeah. just, I like, I realize that's not like a logically convincing argument, but it just seems like yeah. To me I mean, to be... it's it's very possible. Um, yeah, I think especially. I mean, not just the similarities of the terms, but the kind of scenario of kids in a school, you know, finding their way into this sort of nether world of monsters and demons and kind of exploring it and everything like just the scenarios are similar enough that I could see them kind of realizing the similarity and saying all right let's throw in a little and reference just to kind of acknowledge you know the link there and that it's explicitly not like just another planet right right like it's another dimension or or right. realm of existence that right is like tangential or you know underneath <laughs> this right. world um right i get a kind of like i mean obviously it's literal and a physical place that they can go to but like is there a kind of like Jungian connection here of like these are like the shadows underneath you know everything you know and and they kind of I, I don't know that I wrote down that section of the dialogue, but, like, they kind of talk about their own mythology of, you know, they see themselves as, you know, underneath and below everything else. So there's mm -hmm. this sort of, like, almost 
buried sort of subconscious aspects mm. to them. Um, yeah. yeah, and they, this is fairly unique. I can't think of anything else to have the monsters kind of put it quite this way, but they believe themselves to be an evolutionary mistake. Um, like usually it's that which it's not it's not explained like why they believe that right it's just that that that's something they believe right okay and, and the universe will crush them if they don't defeat it so maybe because they're kind of cast down into this n n underworld then mm. their conclusion is that the world is kind of like quill says the world is trying to kill them so they try to kill it right back Right? Isn't that Mal? <laughs> yeah. Um, like that kind of seems to be the conclusion is we we have such a raw deal that we must have been a mistake and the universe mm. will try to kind of erase us. So we're just gonna respond by just conquering everything. Um sure. and that's the only way that we'll survive. Which is kind of a strange origin myth. Um, like I can't really think of any other, like usually it's like the Daleks think everything else was a mistake and they're the ones that are perfect. Like right, I can't think of anyone being... else that their mythology is based on believing themselves to be a mistake. Right. Yeah. Like the Daleks, the Cybermen, like every, like they're all like right. the apotheosis of what life should be right it's all the like master race ideology of right we're perfect and you all have to become like us or die yeah hmm. um but yeah they don't the shadowkin don't really think that way So, April, well, actually, we see Ram first, right? Like, just in the uh, mm -hmm. series, like, in the plot development of what happens. Uh, we see Ram first and sort of, like, running away from one of the Shadowkin. Um, and, of course, he gets saved, the uh, dude in distress. I don't what's the opposite of Dandrel, I guess, the... Yeah, I, I can't remember if it is. It might be dude, whatever it says on uh, TV tropes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so she, you like you get that scene of like the the somewhat typical scene of like you know the monster standing over the person and then like the swords coming through it, mm -hmm. you know, killing it or whatever. Um, in the very shadowy sort of like poof, it's gone mm -hmm. uh, way. Um, and I actually, so there's a lot of like chatter between <laughs> April and Ram. Sure. I don't know how important all of it is. Sure. It, a lot of it's like the, oh, you shouldn't have come or you should go back. It's safer if you go back and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, like I don't, and then you get like Ram, like being half supportive, half, you know, kind of 
jerky about being supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, which is like building off, I think. Like, I, I feel like the writers remember that Ram's a jock only when it's convenient to point out that he's a jock. Mm. Right? Like, and like when it's convenient to like play on this sort of jock stereotypes. Right. Um, which is fine. Like, I guess I don't, I don't know that it's like that big of a deal or whatever, but like, it's just kind of funny that like, you know, it comes up again. Like, everybody's like, oh, you're not like the typical jock. And, um, only to point out that like he's being kind of a jerk. Sure. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Um, right. Even though he, kind of seemed like a typical jock in the first episode. So, yeah, exactly what his relationship is with the kind of stock character of the jock figure, I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I I mean, and that's fine. Like, we don't have to analyze that too much here. It's just kind of funny that it comes up again. Like, reminder, he's a jock, you know. When we want him to be, mm-hmm. when we want to point out his jockiness, um, yeah. So I don't. I mean, I don't. Do you have anything in particular about like their whole? Because like, there's a there's a couple different scenes of it, and I feel like I don't know if this is like a product of it being a two parter. Like maybe a one parter could have been a little tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like for all three of the sort of major settings that we get between Ram and April in the underneath, um, Tanya and the parents in the school, and then, you know, Charlie, Matt, Quill, and Dorothea in, uh, like, Charlie's apartment, mainly. Yeah. Um, although they're, so, like, they're at the school for a little bit, too, right? Um, Mm -hmm. the, I don't, I don't know, like, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, I think you're kind of saying there's a lot of talk in all of them. Yes. Oh, right. So, like, I feel like the, right, if... If this, like, they almost could have made this a one-parter and just, like, cut out a lot of the, like, sort of extended, like, like, he does the ritual, like, three times, doesn't he? Like, or, the, yeah, the ritual goes on for, like, it's very, like it, or it's very repetitive. For, like, yeah. three different scenes. Yeah, yeah, it's like, and now it's time to choose. All right, I'm gonna choose. All right, now it's time for me to tell it what I've chosen. Like, right. Like, there's, like, just so much of that sort of filler yeah. kind of sus- suspense, but not really suspense. Because we, we, like, I I don't know. I mean, maybe some people, like, wondered what he was going to do. I didn't personally ever think he was going to use the thing. Like, I, mm-hmm. I sort of always thought there would be a lot. I mean, I suppose I could have, like, second guess and, you know, third and fourth guess myself and talk myself out of this as, you know, some point if I had let myself, but, like, I don't know that I ever truly believed that, like, he was going to use the cabinet at this point. Mm-hmm. 
if if only even because it's like eh, we're only halfway through the season sure like like you know i've watched enough of these shows but yeah. i don't think he's really you know how that. these things go um, um you're waiting for may to roll around before the cabinet gets yeah like yeah right or or at least like you know the penultimate episode of this of the season mm-hmm. you know to you know show the consequences of opening it in like the final episode or something um yeah anyway so like i don't know that i so like to drag it out there seems odd but then like they also drag out like tanya's explanations and figuring out like what matt's text is and they drag out sort of the extensive like goodbyes and you know i'm going to fight the shadow king no i'm really going to fight the shadow king okay i'm about to fight the shadow king like stuff so i don't i like I definitely feel like this episode could have been like trimmed down to about 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and then like probably we could have found some stuff in the like first part to trim out and you know, they could have been a single Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you're wrong about that. So all of that to say, like, I don't know that there's like the stuff with Ram and April, like it's your typical, like, don't say I love you. I've only known you for a month, but you know, I would really love you and we love each other and yay. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. And what what out of that like am I missing something? Is there like something you want to point out? I I feel I mean... like I feel like I'm stumbling because I feel like there's probably something I should say about it, but I just don't know what that is. No, I mean, I think in general, you're, you're right that the whole episode is very drawn out. So I don't think we need to like belabor any particular point. I, in that particular moment of each of them kind of saying, kind of agreeing with each other and not realizing it, that neither of them wants to, each of them kind of thinks the other one is about to say, I love you, but then neither of them wants to be the one to say it. And, Oh, we've only known each other for a month or whatever. I kind of get like, you know, this is cryptic to kind of think what I think they want the audience to take away from it. But like there's teenagers and young people watching this. And I think it sends a message of, they're not jumping into things too seriously, too quickly, you know, like, okay, you have these two kind of characters who are in high school or, you know, whatever the British equivalent of whatever grade they're in. And maybe at this point before, you know, our heroine goes to do battle, you would expect to have these big declarations of love, but there's this kind of pointed, non-declaration where they both kind of say wait we haven't really known each other that long we're not ready to say those things yet and that's okay and you know i guess but i i feel like the whole thrust of it is that like they do say not i mean they don't say it say it but like they're kind of like i'm not gonna say it but i feel it you know what i mean like sure 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a difference, though, between wondering if the time is right or if you should say it versus actually feeling like, yes, the time is right and maybe I should say it. Like, I think maybe there's some pressure to say it from either themselves or or each other or what they imagine the other one is thinking, but maybe they're more on the same page than they kind of realize at first. Um, Sure. I don't know. I kind of... I could just be reading into it. Like, that's fine. Sure. Um, And I could be misreading what the intention is. So maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, But that was just sort of my takeaway from it was um, kind of that reminder to the kids watching um, that you don't kind of have to say I love you to your first love in high school when you're sort of just met each other and aren't really there yet. Um, But I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading the intent there. But yeah, everything, I mean, I, I don't know that there's anything else that they talk about that's super important. The Lord of the Rings joke made me feel old. Which I think is the 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 intent. Sure. <laughs> like, oh, it's this it's this old movie my dad likes. Thanks. Thanks, Fran. I think the movie's old. Should try the book. Um Yeah, just a reminder of how young the kids are these days. Right. Um Yeah, I don't know. Anything else about the, like, I mean, April does her battle and she wins. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, no. Yeah, she, well, I mean, like, so the dads come through and there's more talky talk. Um <laughs> You know, I don't know, like, the... And that's okay if there's not, like, tons well, to I was say trying, about I, it. I was trying to think of, like, Hugh's, like, sort of monologue there mm-hmm. to her. I, like, again, I, I think there's a little cognitive dissonance there for me of, like, like, I get that he's, like, trying to convince her of the thing, but, like, like, also, like, why isn't she just, like, get away from me, Dad? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, she is pretty much every other time with him. Um, so, I don't know. Like, it's fine, I guess. Uh, um. Yeah, she defeats the Shadow King, does not kill him, but, like, locks him up. Well, has, like, the Shadow King, who she, and she's now the king, mm-hmm. um, like, has them, has, has them take him and, like, throw him into a tomb 
and then like orders them to go kill all the petals. Mm-hmm. Um, hooray, she saves the day. Nobody had to die. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I kind of feel like um, I'm not quite sure what to take away from there's that little moment where her mom says like what are you gonna do with an army and she gives like that creepy smile like oh you like we'll see what i do with but then by the end of the episode she doesn't have an army or a kingdom anymore um so yeah oh yeah i'm not quite sure like what to take from that moment um yeah, I Because it seems to hint at something darker that then doesn't seem like it's getting yeah. explored. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, right, so her power is taken away. Well, so, and also, the shadows in broad daylight when they defeated the shadow king before by just like shining lights on him right like mm-hmm. the whole right it's kind of more down. like the smoke monster rather than shadows yeah yeah like yeah yeah you're right it's a weird like yeah it's just weird it's not consistent certainly i mean you know it's a world of Doctor Who, so I guess consistency, like sure. But a lot, of, I think we can expect within a given episode that the monster has a certain internal consistency, at least within one episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, like within a season or an era or whatever. Um, and these were all written by the same person, so even more right. so. Um. Yeah, so I I mean, and then she loses her power, but like, apparently her mother is still healed. Like, there seemed to be some concern, I guess, that when mm-hmm. <clears throat> April lost her power, that like her mother would no longer be healed, which I'm not clear why. Like, I don't think I would have even assumed that. Sure. I mean... Well, she does. I mean, I don't know that it is it an assumption so much as just a question of, like, a moment of just wondering. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess her power's gone. Does that mean the things she's done with it are undone? Would be the kind of you know, symbolic logic I would kind of give to that. Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of get it. It just... Wouldn't have occurred to you. Wouldn't have... Like, that wouldn't have necessarily occurred to me. But I think what... I think the struggle I'm having with it is she seems convinced that it's the case. Mm. And, like, throughout her connection with the Shadow King... Like, she knows all of these things about, like, the world and how the magic works and, like, where Mm -hmm. he is. And so I guess, like, what seems weird to me is that 
she seems so convinced that this thing is true that her power is gone and so therefore her mother's you know ability to walk is also gone mm-hmm. but then that turns out not to be true so like sure but the the connection severed so her knowledge is gone so i think that's based on fear i don't think that's based in knowledge the way her knowledge of the shadow realm or you know whatever or the rules of their culture are i think that's like back to ordinary teenage april who is scared that her mother can't walk again um yeah so i don't i don't i don't see it as like a conviction of like oh no this thing is undone i see it as just like a momentary panic of she doesn't know and has to just go check but that's kind of how it struck me that's fine i don't i i mean it's not a huge deal i guess like her mother is still able to move her foot and then we see kind of at the end like the therapy portion right so Mm -hmm. um the presumption being that she will walk again at some point Mm -hmm. um i suppose we may or may not actually see it i guess there's only a few more episodes left so yeah um all right so we can probably wrap up maybe a little bit early because like we've only got like quill and charlie and stuff and we've already Mm -hmm. talked about the fact that like the ritual takes so long right he declares his intent a a, a couple times (laughs) i declare my intent (laughs) no um Claire. Yeah, like, yeah, there's there's a bit of repetitive ritual going on here. Um, I mean, and of course you can explain that by, like, maybe he's just stalling, though it's not clear stalling for what, because, like, nobody knows that, like, Matt's message, like, I, Charlie doesn't even know about Matt's message, right. right? Let alone whether it went through and was successfully decoded and which apparently is at question. We don't, you know, we've already talked about, like, Tanya doesn't get it right away. So, um, you know, even if, like, Charlie knew that the message had gone through, like, there's no guarantee he he would have necessarily known whether or not she had decoded it properly. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's just, like, it's, like, waiting for you catastrophe to strike. Right, right, giving fate a chance to operate um and i did name this portion of our discussion the shadows are coming the shadows are coming (laughs) um because like that's kind of what it is is like we're just like stalling as long as we can like hoping that something will happen Mm -hmm. um and it does and that's fine like Mm -hmm. like i don't even have a problem with that particular part of it or anything like you know, April defeats the Shadow King and has, like, control over the Shadow Kin, and he's able to use that in a way in which they earlier say, oh, maybe the Shadows can, you know, defeat. Yeah. Whatever, that's all fine. I mean, I guess... I mean, I don't think it suddenly makes the whole episode, like, interesting per se, but I think on rewatch 
kind of the more interesting part is when you kind of know that the whole this whole scene of you catastrophe is a bit undermined by the fact that um the governors and you know Dorothea Ames kind of set this up knowing sort of what would happen and how it would play out and that like I mean she was kind of gonna stop it presumably I mean until they knocked her out but like even if she hadn't they would only have used up one soul in defeating the petals so some of the especially when you rewatch it um you certainly don't have the drama of like oh no he what if he used it he almost used it like it's not the catastrophe that um you know you're sort of led to believe the first time Sure. Um, so I guess it like becomes more about the manipulations of, uh, you know, the school governors and, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, and so manipulations, I mean, you know, Dorothea sort of, plays a number of sides and and i get like you could get into a guessing game of like does she you know she knows the probabilities but she doesn't necessarily know what to say and when so is she just like trying to maximize like a positive outcome does she want one outcome over another or is it kind of like oh, let's see how it plays out. As long as it's like one of these several outcomes, it doesn't really matter which. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't, like... Yeah, we still don't... We would have to guess. Like, yeah, we still don't, we don't know. know. No, we still don't really know at the end of this episode more than we knew in the previous one about, um, you know what like sort of are. yeah um but it kind of loops back around to the deal again that um you sure know, for even though it kind of seems halfway through that quill's just a pawn and you know they were just using her to sort of get to charlie and they really don't care about quill and all this stuff um it then kind of comes back at the end that they have this deal and you know if if you're still interested come see us so uh that offer is still on the table yeah potentially i mean i don't know how trustworthy the, right. the governors are at this point but at least you they know. were just about to let her get you know i mean not let her get killed or anything but like they were certainly sort of betraying her in the moment Right. Like, to, like, allow Charlie to be the one to, like, take a deal or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's certainly not clear that they're trustworthy. Um, there's a reference to unit mm -hmm. that they might be somehow associated. And, and Dorothea says no, that they're not. But it, so are we... I I hadn't actually really thought of unit as a potential. I I sort of would have always, always like, since we've known about this governor's thing, mm -hmm. I've sort of 
thought of it as some kind of like independent group. Mm-hmm. So even the fact that like it's brought up that like there's a possibility that this might be like associated with unit. Like yeah, I found that a little bit interesting. Um, although, I mean, again, try, like just taking what she says at face value anyway, like that seems not to be the case. Um, although I suppose it's possible that like, again, she could be lying. Um, And if it's not unit, then I guess, yeah, that question becomes like it, like, could it then be some other group that we know of, but like, this is like a, a sect or a subset or, mm. you know, splinter group or something or, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't have any good suggestions as to what such a group might be. So like, I won't, I'm not expecting you to like tell me if it is or isn't either. So like, don't, you know, you don't have to, mm-hmm. but like, um, those are just sort of the thing, like, like upon the realization of like, oh, maybe, maybe like unit could have been a reasonable answer to like who these people are. And I didn't think of it before. Now it's like, okay, so what else am I not thinking of in relation to this particular mm-hmm. group? Um, on the other hand, like, I feel like with Doctor Who, there's always an infinitude of groups that like are just sort of created on the fly. So, sure. <laughs> you know. It, it may be sort of pointless to even try to guess because like it could just totally be some new made up group that sure. has to do with any of those. Right. I mean, your guess could be right, but that doesn't necessarily indicate the likelihood of, you know, like it might be something you've heard of. It might be something very similar to things you have heard of, but with a completely different name. Um, sure. So, Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I'm interested to see because like I I I feel like at this point the obvious. I mean, not that they have to go with what's obvious to me, but um, the obvious sort of end of season conflict I think is going to be between Charlie and Quill. Um, if if Quill becomes, you know, uh, emancipated, I guess, or well emancipated if you think of her as a slave um released if you think of her as a prisoner mm-hmm. um and if you think of her as both then i mean either will work i suppose mm-hmm. um but that seems to be to me what is sort of shaping up as like sort of the end of season conflict um and like not just like Charlie versus Quill, but like, you know, will will there be some sort of ability for them to work together? Because they do, they like there is a moment here where they agree in this episode against Dorothea. Like it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a shoe in that Quill always disagrees with Charlie, just sort of out of hand, right? Right. Like, right. Um. So yeah, so I, I'm sort of interested to see how that develops and how how and to what extent, you know, the promise that Dorothea makes will be kept and like 
what sort of, you know, fairy bargains might come into play in order to, mm-hmm. you know, achieve that or, or you know, receive that promise and the, and the um, deal they struck. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Any, any other thoughts? About, I mean, so we get, I guess, I guess if we're saying like April and, uh, you know, Ram are not expressing their love, obviously that's quite the opposite between Charlie and Matt. Sure. Um, yeah. Very much both right. of them eager to express their love and support for each other. And, yeah, for sure. Um, all of that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have any other big points that we missed, really. All right. Um, so I will say, sort of in light of my comments about, like, I feel like this could have been shortened and, like, made a one-parter. Like, I was a little disappointed, I guess, just sort of in how it all came through. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, it drags out a little. It It could have been a little... I think that we've, um, I think hopefully both been a little bit pleasantly surprised. I'm not saying this is our new favorite show or anything, but like maybe the average has been a little bit better than might have been expected. But, um, I don't think the two-parter in the middle is the kind of best example of the show like I think some of the earlier um standalone episodes um Mm -hmm. you know were a little bit stronger so I mean who knows in in a one episode version maybe they could have sort of done something a bit tighter and punchier that was a bit more exciting um Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think the first part was a lot of setup, and then the second part was a lot of biding time until the conclusion, which makes you kind of wonder why it was a two-parter in the first place. Um, But I am happy to say I think the next one goes back to more of a standalone, and, and one of the kind of very concept driven kind of self-contained ones that I think we generally tend to like a little bit better. Um, like it's a more memorable premise. So hopefully that will have a bit more meat to discuss next time. Very cool. Yep. So we'll be back with that and we'll be, uh, we'll be back with some angel and, uh, a little bit more on the bizarre, I think, side. That's uh, good. Yeah. I like the sound of that. I, I'm trying to remember. It, it's definitely not a typical uh, episode, but like I also, I, I feel like, and we can see if this holds true through the rest of the season. I mean, I feel like season five is a lot of like more experimental with things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, 
even this Halloween episode, I would say, falls under that a little bit. Although we've seen sort of the fun Buffyverse Halloween episodes before. So, like, maybe it does fit, maybe it does fit in line with, you know, some of those other Halloween episodes that we've seen in Buffy or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I'll be interested to hear your take on uh, this next one because it's a little, uh, it's a little more focused on one of the employees of Wolfram and Hart that we don't know, although we have seen him before mm. at least at least once. Um, but I won't mention where or how, and you may or may not remember it. It's fine if you don't. Like it's not a huge okay. thing. Like it was just literally in passing. But anyway. Okay. Sounds good. See you then.